episode of the Community Development Podcast. My name is Russell Todd. Uh, the name of this podcast is to connect community development practitioners, to share their learning and to promote the, the, the approaches and the values and the merits of, of community development in, in our work. I found myself in Brixton, so I brought the podcast to London for the first time. I'm at the Impact Hub in Brixton, which is located in this really kind of fascinating and interesting container park, is the only way I can describe it, called Pop Brixton. And I have the very great pleasure of Stephanie Gamow. Hello. Hello, Russell. It's been a fascinating hour or so I've spent. It's busy, it's vibrant. But in keeping with that, there's people coming and going and they're doing their work and they're having meetings and they're catching up and they're dropping in and they're collecting things. So it'll be a little bit of background noise, but that's good. That, yeah. that adds and brings some authenticity. What do people need to know about you? I'm an Austrian, Austrian citizen stranded in London. I've been living here for the past three years, a total of five years in the UK. I lived in Sheffield before that. That's where I did my master's in international development. Okay. And I've always been interested in community development since I was quite young. So when I was 18 years old, I went off to Mexico to work in a social project at the US-Mexican border in Tijuana, working with communities there, teaching and supporting gang members, organizing football tournaments for them. And I was just struck by the incredible inequality that was going on in, in, in this border city, Tijuana, that is just so close to San Diego, a city of incredible wealth, and how this affects people and their livelihoods, and culturally, economically, and since then I felt like there's something I want to do about it. How can we, yeah, how can we harness communities' power and, and make sure that they find a way to better their lives? And I caught up with a friend yesterday evening who works in the London Mayor's office, and um, he's from South Wales originally. And what I, I we were talking about was quite, you know, how close proximity, extreme wealth, is with disadvantage in London. Yeah. And that inequality or, or the, the the extremes then is not something we necessarily see, or I've necessarily seen in my professional community development background and career because we don't necessarily get that extreme wealth in, in parts of Wales mm-hmm. which is not to say that there's not wealthy people clearly and where it does exist it's not so close to you know, the other end of the, the spectrum so it's always kind of fascinating for me when I'm, when I'm in London and, uh, and you were sort of talking about some of his um, sort of challenges I guess in, in terms of his work in, in, in the Mayor's office um, so, so what's your role at, at the Impact Hub? At Impact Hub I am... Um I'm managing the space. Um, my title is Head of Programs and Community, which is quite uh, ambiguous. It means like I look after our members and um, organize business support events, community events for them, but I'm also in charge of programs and fundraising. At the moment, we are working with Power to Change in running a program called the Open Project Night, which allows us to open up the space for free on a weekly basis for a couple of hours and invite community groups from Lambeth, from the borough of Lambeth, to come and join us, um, have meetings, collaborate, come for a training session, and basically try and work on specific local challenges and find solutions by working together. I suspect I'm, I'm using up my entire kind of quota for the year of serendipity because <laughs> I was at the launch yesterday of the Future Communities research, of the report following the research, that the Institute for Voluntary Action Research had carried out on behalf of Local Trust. Uh, I think it was funded by Community Development Foundation by Joseph Roundtree. And one of the, th- the key um, messages that came out of that was the, the need to, and I, I think what was quite striking was not just the need for space, 
like you've just described for communities to come and collaborate and interact and, and chat and socialize and find solutions but actually we need to be really switched on to retaining these spaces because they are declining in number because they are being privatized they're being sold fees are being levied for their use and, and so on and so forth and so it's really quite timely that you're working on that sort of you know, project those sort of initiatives within sort of Brixton and Lambeth where you've got this research and it might well be that that maybe lends the funding applications etc a little bit of additional kind of credence and, and value and it's, it chimes with some other work that I've been doing back in Wales that is that is again around these these, these principles of, of having space available that people can own if not own legally speaking at the very least they have autonomy over yeah. how they use the space to a degree when they use the space how they configure and arrange the space and, and, and things like that and I think that's absolutely key mm-hmm. and it draws on a lot of, for me some of the work of, uh, of Ray uh, Oldenburg in America a sociologist he talks about the value of, of third places first place being the home the home and the hearth we might say in Wales second place you know traditionally the workplace and those third spaces are really 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 key you know the workmen's institutes and the social infrastructure term that the, the, the IVAR work uses but they're increasingly declining so third space is a public space almost. yeah public but not necessarily public owned Mm-hmm. in terms of it's a council community centre, for example, though it, though, it, though it might be. And it's looking at this concept not just in physical space, you know, the rooms that you use, but also the spaces that you create for conversation, for debate, for discussion, to philosophise in, to try to see things from your point of view, which on paper are quite divergent, opposing views maybe, but that we're able to talk these things mm-hmm. through because without that dialogue... We're not going to get anywhere. anywhere. And this is, this so. is so important specifically for, for London where you have such a diverse set yes. of communities living next yeah. to each other. And I'm saying next to each other because that's, that's what they do. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. very few places where they can actually interact. So, yeah, that's where I think the responsibility for community space in London really sits. Yeah. yeah. So, a little bit of background to why you and I around this mic. You wrote an article called Community Organising Back to Its Roots. Yes. It was in the spring uh, edition, issue number 21, of Stir Magazine, the magazine for the new economy, which I wasn't aware of until it landed on the desk in my new role at IndieCube, which provides co-working spaces around Wales, but also outside of Wales as well. So we've got a space, for example, in Walthamstow and Finsbury Park in London. But in addition to that, and certainly where our, our growth is, is going forward, it's around providing essentially trade union for freelance, self-employed indie workers to find you know, more security, solidarity, mutual support, and, and, and so on. And what was fascinating about your article was it talked about co-working, which is the new thing for me, if you like, in terms of my career and my job, but it positioned it really powerfully for me within, broadly speaking, this community development um, approach then. And what I really liked about it was that it was basically asking of ourselves to just reflect and pause and check and say where we potentially work to create communities within communities and so for communities of interest around independent working, freelancers, self-employment, etc., or creative economies. We've got to be careful that we don't reinforce inequality as this unattended consequence. And I just thought it was a really honest article. So I'm kind of interested what challenges that poses in practice because it's mm. far easier said than done. It might be there's some, some experience of, of yours at the hub here, the impact hub here, that can kind of shape some of that. But you talk about this um, problematic exclusivity of co-working communities and support structures. And for me, I'm, I'm at the outset of this journey now with, with IndieCube and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I can't lose sight of this. It's not good for all 
even though it might be of benefit to members, what is the what are those unintended consequences that we might be having? Yeah. So, for example, you talk about gentrification as one example, but then there's issues around sort of gender and ethnicity as well in terms of the makeup of spaces and so on. Really, really good piece. I encourage anyone listening to this to to try to seek it out. I'm not sure it's available online. We can maybe sort of find it some links. It is actually. Yeah, you can get an online subscription of Stir to Action magazine. I can really recommend all of their issues. It's a brilliant collection of articles around community development, cooperative movement. Definitely get your hands on that. So this exclusivity, this potential to create things that end up becoming exclusive is that a challenge that you're facing yeah it's it's a massive challenge that we're facing so if i look for example at the the demographics of members who come to us people who are interested in becoming co-working members in the impact hub vast majority of them is um, middle class a middle class background and i'd say a majority of them is also of white background And one of the key reasons for them to come and join us is because they're suffering from isolation. Mm. People working in their own homes, working from cafes. They started to do freelance work because maybe they've been pushed out of employment or maybe because they felt like the employment market doesn't really fit with what they want to do. They have a brilliant idea. But at the end of the day, what they're looking for is a community. and then at the same time, so we have this beautiful space and as you said, like this very interesting and attractive container park, Pop Brixton, which is very vibrant and lots of different food businesses, lots of bars, spaces to hang out. So we have this community of freelancers and at the same time we have some council estates at the back of Pop Brixton with some of the poorest members of society in Lambeth. Lambeth is a borough with um, the highest, one of the highest crime rates in London. Ranks very high also in comparison, um, in relation to the deprivation index. Many of these people who live in these council estates are self-employed. They might have market businesses. They might be taxi drivers. We've got Brixton Market just outside Pop Brixton with lots of different stalls, but they don't come here. So for me, the question was. If we talk about community, then what about the communities that are already around us? Where do they fit in? And if we see that people are in need for connection and in need for relationships, then how do we fit that with this general disconnection across different communities that have been here for a long time? Yeah. I haven't found an answer to it yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a massive challenge. I think what could potentially be an answer is community organising. Okay. So I think it's almost a two-step process. On the one hand, there is awareness raising to people who come to our space, who are of a certain background, who are isolated and looking for business support, but who might be very educated and also able to pay the very extortionate rents in Brixton when they move here. There might be a this point of awareness raising where we ask ourselves what do we actually mean by community what is it that you need yeah. what is yeah. it that you want and the other part is to um, empower communities who might not necessarily come to this space that means taking our services there running community organizer trainings building leadership in these mm. communities all of which were themes in the IFAR 
were yesterday. So it's great to kind of see that research that's quite broad. It goes to lots of, of, of communities. Well, it spent some time in a small number of communities, but there were a lot of conversations had, you know, all across the United Kingdom. And it's great then sort of seeing that within 24 hours, the microcosm then of the corner of Brixton within this borough of Lambeth and, and some of the challenges that you've you've described. Very, very contemporary then, I suppose. What's good then for me is that that research then has probably uncovered what it needed to because that's the reality and that's what's kind of going on mm. in people's life, which I think is always important with research. Is it valid? Are the findings, do they concur with the lived experience in these council flats, for example, that you've just referred to? Um, I think people would, would, would probably say yes because it talks about isolation and, and, and some of those other things you've talked about. So in terms of being alert to these communities within communities, I guess you've, you've mentioned the, the ethnic kind of diversity and there's probably religious diversity and linguistic diversity and so on. Class diversity. Yeah, and people will be identifying maybe with several types of community. So you get this kind of real sort of melting pot, which we can welcome and we can certainly kind of encourage the values of diversity and, 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 and talk about the merits of that. But you're also quite candid, I thought, in the article around, again, challenging and kind of self-reflecting. So you say in the article where we can't just tick the diversity box, we must build effective partnerships with local organisations that are truly empowering and ensure that community organising remains political instead of becoming an act of charity. For me, that's a really hard-hitting thing to say because I can think of instances in in my career where I've heard community development workers saying how and almost emphasising and being proud of how they are apolitical yeah, or non-political in, in some way. And I recognise there's maybe a need not to have particular political party allegiances when you're working kind of very grassroots, I get that. But fundamentally what we're, what we're doing is political. It's inherently political when we're talking about, as you talk about in terms of community organising, taking a stand against oppressive institutions of power and unequal distributions of power and, and so on. It's mm. inherently political. And so I kind of welcomed the honesty, the, the candidness of sort of saying that. Yeah, also the decision on who owns space, who manages space is always political. That's very much where the drive for me to write this article comes from is because I I witnessed such a such a political incident when it comes to um, the transfer of ownership of a community space. Right. Where the decision was between two different organisations, a local Latin American organisation and um, a relatively new social enterprise, who should take ownership of that space. And in the end, the Latin American organisation got pushed out without any reasoning, actually. And the space was being transferred to this new social enterprise who were running incubators, who have it on their agenda to engage local communities, but still there is the political element of why. Was it not important enough to ensure that there is some security of assets for a community mm. that is already being pushed out of this borough because of yeah rising rents and redevelopments mm. and regeneration? And so that's in... That was that's in, close to... That's in Southwark, borough okay. of Southwark, so very okay. close. But I think it's a phenomenon you see in Lambeth as well. Recently, there was this brilliant um, black-owned pub called Amaryllis and called Harbour Lane, just a few streets down. And as far as I'm aware, it was the last black-owned pub in Lambeth. It's closed now. Right. And of course, there's probably a strategy somewhere around stimulating, nurturing, supporting social enterprise, which on paper it reads well and we would kind of encourage in principle and so on. But it's... It, it's the impact that that has 
in a much broader context. You can't just look at these things in isolation of social enterprise. It's, it's intuitively good and it's positive and it's going to be positive you know, addition to the community and so on if it's then you're pushing, as you described, yeah. out in other interests and other groups. And I think it actually has the potential to be inherently good, but if the resources are so limited, then suddenly yeah. different social enterprises, if you want to call them all social enterprises, still this is, how do you define a social yeah. enterprise? But suddenly they start competing with each other and that's when it becomes political and that's when at the community level you suddenly have different opinions and one party pushing the other party out. And we have a mantra of competitiveness is at the heart of very much this kind of economic paradigm that we've got now in across the vast ways of the the Western world certainly. It gets gets played out regionally, it gets played out sort of locally and then again it pushes up standards and it drives down costs and we don't necessarily see that on the, on the yeah. ground and without realizing we can import that approach of competitiveness and can't pitch people together and i've seen it close hand with, with the phasing out of, of communities first in wales how the process ends up pitching what should be shared interests organizations with shared aims shared values end up actually competing with each other i'm not sure then collectively then when we then look at the state look back at the state and the state was involved in that particular process i have in mind should we kind of say no yeah actually step out of that entire mm. interaction and that and that sort of um i don't want to use the word fight but that's the language it, it, it generates because it, it it has that competitiveness at its heart yeah uh, and it can bring the worst out in people who and organizations who usually are, are good people and yeah and who want values to driven good. and want to achieve yeah. yeah yeah but it's often based on mistrust and i think mistrust comes from people not knowing each other and not understanding each other so to create spaces in local communities where all the different communities can come together and reimagine the term community itself might be a way to ensure that we don't have to compete yeah. at that level. Yeah, yeah. And so you speculate in the article about what would financial services look like that are designed by women? What would co-working spaces owned and run by black and ethnic minority communities? Yeah. Which is interesting. Because I guess in terms of not just the makeup of these spaces, but the ownership in the broadest sense, probably reflects the the membership. I I, I guess. I mean, I I don't know. I've not been in this co-working sort of uh, realm for, for for all that long. But certainly, some of the things you've described, you quote some stats in that in terms of membership, ethnic diversity, gender, and so on, chimes with my experience to date in a relatively short space of time. Well, I guess for me, that's just this vision of a redistribution of power. Mm and a big question of what would it actually be like if there were more spaces, more organisations led by people who usually don't have a voice and it might lead to a new form of leadership that we can't even imagine yet because we just haven't had it. It links back to what we discussed about competitiveness and, and mistrust. Yeah. Very thought-provoking. And there's a final point that you make, but well, there's many points you make, but the mm-hmm. final one I want to tease out a little bit more here is this appropriation of community we need to start designing alternatives and I've written previously about how the word community can be misused you refer to for example developers you know in London whenever I'm here it seems there's something new there's something changed you know things yeah. something that was once there no longer there and you refer to the, the black owned pub and, and, and change can be really really quick and it's development led and it's pushed by that particular agenda that we, we've touched on in terms of neoliberalism and, and, and competitiveness and so on but is that something that you, you've experienced here, or to phrase it another way, is that something you're really cautious that you're not doing yourself in terms of misappropriating that term? Oh, that's a very good question. Yeah, I'm definitely conscious about myself in, in all of this. 
like looking at the demographics in Lambeth, I'm one of the people who's moved here quite recently and part of the gentrification process in that sense, why rent prices are going up and why this area is becoming more and more developed and attractive to developers. I think when I talk about the appropriation of community, I and I also referred to this in the article, is that element of being political. I think a community needs to have some element of let's be political, let's achieve something together in it, and the element of solidarity. A few of the examples are referenced in the article as well, where, for example, in the minor strike, where women were incredibly active to go out and campaign or cook meals and support the miners during the strike. Whereas I think what I see specifically in the freelance and co-working kind of community is there is such a desperate need for connection. The main driver is let's just not be alone. That's why we need community. I think the point about the women's movement or the feminist movement within the minor strike or or that was stimulated by the minor strike illustrates a key point around solidarity coalitions. So, So coalitions of different communities coming together, cohesing around a specific cause. And what's interesting, again, talking about sort of serendipity of all of this and, and the interface of, of my community development background with now working with IndieCube that provides co-working spaces, amongst other things, is that we've got a space in a little village called Banwen mm. in the Delice Valley, um, not far from sort of Neath, sort of Swansea area. It's the community where essentially Pride uh, is set around in okay. the, the film Pride. And these communities matter to us. But the community organisation that we're involved with there, called Dove Workshop, has origins in that time and has origins in women recognising that the future of work in their community, traditionally coal, was changing. I mean, clearly it was at a state of conflict at that point, but that actually it wasn't going to be the same. Whatever outcome the strike was going to have, it was going to change. And so they organised themselves to educate themselves and to gain more qualifications and to understand and to philosophise and to debate and discuss. And they're still there now. And now they're Mm. running childcare and they're running uh, mental health support services and they're a very, very green, environmentally aware organisation in a beautiful, very kind of semi-rural part of industrial South Wales. And it has its origins in those things. And so the solidarity then and the coalitions that you, you, you talk about in the article, I think, are absolutely key. And they're very, very genuine sense of community to my mind. But that actually you're going up against power wielded by the state in terms of shaping economies in in, in, in mobilizing the police yeah. and, and all those sorts of things because the needs you have needs that are not met by public yeah. services so you start redesigning mm-hmm. services that can can meet these needs by working together yeah that's essentially yeah. the core element of community organizing yeah, isn't yeah. It? and people then reappropriating claiming back you know the term community i think is is, is part of that or, or challenging where they think it's been misappropriated yeah. Yeah. Very powerful stuff. I encourage anyone listening to this to to try to seek out the article. We've given it a little plug. What other social media channels do you want to plug? Please definitely follow us on Impact of Brixton at Hub Brixton. You can follow myself as well at Stephanie Gamal. I start to action. Find that on Twitter as well. What would be brilliant if you're interested in this question of community, what community actually means? the reappropriation of community and how we can make different and diverse voices heard in our organising work and build a new kind of leadership, then please get in touch with me. It would be brilliant to organise something together.
best luck with your endeavours here. Best luck Thank with you. funding applications and yeah. things. Thank um, you. A necessary evil, I suppose. A ton of stuff going on. It's a really fascinating place. If anyone has the opportunity to, to drop by, I think we only got in touch about a week ago. That is the welcome that you get, and I will vouch for that. Stephanie, um, it'd be great to keep in touch. Yes. Uh, maybe do this I'd again and kind of keep in touch with the work. So until that next time, thank you very much. Thank you, Shun. Bitte. Sehr gerne.